Welcome to the Financial Podcast by Una Macquarie. I'm your host, Addison Wright, and today we have another special episode in store for you. With banking and finance being critical to the infrastructure space and in moving our world to a more sustainable future, talking with me all about it is the Head of Infrastructure and other major departments at ANZ Bank, Robin Dutta. Robin, thank you for being here today. Thank you very much, Addison. Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's, it's great to have you. Just, just to start us off, would you mind telling our listeners a very brief summary of what you do at ANZ Bank? Sure. So I work within a team within ANZ. Um, it's part of the institutional bank, uh, yep. which tends to, uh, I suppose, deal with uh, larger listed companies as its customers or sort of larger pension funds and, in my case, infrastructure funds. Um, sure. I work within a broader team known as Project Export and Sustainable Finance. I'm conscious yep. that sounds like quite a mouthful, <laughs> um, but it's got three subunits that I guess blend together quite logically, actually. So Project Finance, uh, which is sort of my area of focus, involves okay. financing sort of large-scale investments across mining, energy, infrastructure. Yeah. Um, pretty diverse array of uh, assets um, in subsets of those. Export finance liaises and sort of raises financing from public institutions that are whose reason for existence is supporting projects to generate trade and export yeah. and so forth. Um, and sustainable finance, which is probably the fastest growing of the three in some ways, yeah. um, coordinates a wide array of activities within ANZ, including designing a whole range of financial products and facilitating the raising of capital, yeah. both for ANZ and its clients, um, which are designed to emphasise a greater alignment across social, environmental and economic outcomes. And that, that's definitely been at the forefront of investing in the last, you know, 10 years. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, ethical things being streamlined. And so it's great to just, um, we'll go more into that um, in depth later. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that. Um, now, you've been at the top of the finance, financial industry for some years now, I think it was at Citibank before ANZ and, and now at ANZ. So how did you get started in finance? And, and if you could go back to a younger version of yourself, what advice uh, a young Robin Dutta? Um, firstly, I, uh, I, I, I went to the description of the t- at the top of finance. I uh, certainly wouldn't describe it that way. Yeah. Um, oh. the, advice I'd, the advice I'd give is probably, um, you know, uh, eat healthier and uh, do more exercise. But uh, <laughs> I think, look, I, I got into finance, frankly, a little by accident. I qualified okay. originally as a chartered accountant, um, but, you know, an opportunity arose at what the time was a European bank after two years, and I sort of rolled the dice and moved. They merged with another bank, and you're right. I then joined well, what was what is now City, um, and was there for about eleven years. Joined ANZ in two thousand and nine. Um, I didn't start out with any deliberate intent uh, to sort of get into banking and the like. Really? I was just pretty fortunate to join an area within City, essentially like Project Finance, okay. um, in where I work now, which sort of combined a need, I guess, for sort of analytics and the level of attention to detail with the ability to take a broader view on how different businesses interact within an industry and a broader economy. Sure. Um, so I've been fortunate to be exposed to some pretty preeminent businesses along the yeah. way and transactions, but probably more importantly, I've worked with some absolutely top quality people and had some uh, excellent bosses uh, who I've been very fortunate to have their guidance of uh, along the way. And to be honest, if you're, I suppose, um, uh, that would be one key learning I guess I've had and benefited from, which mm. is, you know, the importance of having very good supportive bosses 100%. who, you know, and most of them have had a great combination of being tough but fair, but also sort of imparting a lot of both technical knowledge but 
if I can put it this way, sort of broader um, learnings as well. I think, I think for, that's, for, from my that's personal huge. experience with finance, there's just so much to learn. And, you know, the only way to learn really is just to talk to as many people as you can. It's so, like, it, yeah, definitely agree with you on that point. Um, now getting into the more juicy topic of today, we're going to really start um, going on about discussing the low, low carbon economy and how the financial industry can get us there. Well, personally, Robin, I've been a very vocal supporter for renewable energy investment and understand that the, the threat of the exponential increase of carbon emission levels, you know, I don't really want to go into that, but, you know, climate change as a whole is a pretty holistic and, um, you know, I guess a devastating sort of will have a devastating impact if we don't do anything about it. Can, can you just explain to us how a financial institution like ANZ and the manage um, can invest to support the sustainable future? No, absolutely. So, you know, I think it's to a degree, it's right there in what we define as our purpose, mm. to be honest. Um, okay. And that is literally, um, you know, it's it's a publicly disclosed sort of mantra, frankly, that the bank lives and operates by, which is, you know, really to shape a world where people and communities thrive. Yeah. And to exactly your point, you know, environmental sustainability is absolutely one of the central pillars of that. In fact, there's really you know, the way we think about things are there's, uh, we look at three key strategic pillars to facilitate that. And they include financial well-being, um, housing, not just ownership of housing, but access to it, yeah. I suppose, at a broader level. And thirdly, as you've sort of hit honed on, environmental sustainability. Yeah. And really, that is absolutely the focus is helping customers transition to a lower carbon economy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in a strict sense within our team, um, that involves having people who, who sort of contributed to and structured a lot of financings for large and complex infrastructure projects, yeah. which are very much aligned with the bank's stated purpose. These have included transportation projects involving mass transit, things like, you know, the Sydney Metro Network. Okay. Yeah, we're, yeah. Also, we're also a financier to, uh, believe it or not, multiple schools and hospital projects. Yeah. These are social infrastructure components, which are absolutely integral communities um, and the development of them. Yeah. Um, but more broadly, we're certainly at the forefront of what, as I mentioned before, is probably the fastest growing segment of the market, which is broadly known as sustainable finance. Now mm. I'll emphasize that is, it is broader than simply environmental sustainability. There are a range of thematics that fit within it. Now, environmental sustainability is certainly one of them. But again, as I referenced, we've got uh, sizable team uh, within the bank um, that coordinates its activities around the design of financial products, the raising of capital, mm. both for ANZ and others. Um, and these involve a range of uh, sort of mainly debt products, I'll emphasise, okay. given just that's ANZ's main focus, um, you know, where I think the proceeds, for instance, of these uh, facilities, of these financings, in the case of what's known as green loans or green bonds, Okay. In this instance, it's, they involve financings where, yeah, so that involves financings where the proceeds are utilised for projects which deliver clear environmental outcomes and benefits, I should say. Um, you've also got a, um, a, 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 sorry, a now firmly emerged category called sustainability-linked loans or sustainability-linked bonds, yeah. which are tied to which are sort of linked to a borrower's performance against uh, certain predetermined sustainability criteria. Um, and you've got a range of metrics that can uh, that measure that. Sure. Well, I, I think um, I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, sorry, go on. I think it's quite interesting, especially when you're talking about like um, projects like Sydney Metro, because you know in reality they're actually. I, I mean, I used the Sydney Metro before 
it got, you know, before COVID came in, we thought it was fantastic. But it's just things like that. Yeah, it really can help the community. And, and also from an environmental perspective, you know, um, it's much more, can be a lot more efficient than, um, I don't know, potentially other sort of transport systems or, or other things like that. And, and the green bond, like, it's a really um, interesting idea. And I think it's um, just when you're disclosing it just a little bit in, in, in detail, definitely something that um, has, would definitely intrigue me. Um, in, in this sector of, of finance. And it, now just what, what type of um, projects does ANZ look to oversee or fund in, well, I guess, renewable energies, in transport? I mean, you mentioned Sydney Metro and a couple of the hospitals. Is there any in particular, that, that um, in renewable energy particularly, that um, you could talk about or anything like that? Look, there's an array of them across uh, renewable energy, but again, yeah. the thematics are quite a bit broader. Right. Um, so, you know, you t- talk, for instance, I- I'll get to renewables in a second, but maybe just to focus on an example of a green bond. So we yeah. worked with Woolworths last year yeah. um, and they were actually the first supermarket globally to issue a certified green bond. And, you know, understandably, I think people might be asking, what is a green bond? Yeah. Um, but I'll get, and it's best explained by an example. So they raised $400 million, uh, from the domestic Aussie dollar bond market, um, where the proceeds were going to be directly uh, invested towards a range of capital expenditure projects, which were going to be targeted to deliver environmentally beneficial outcomes. So, for instance, um, they were going to look at a range of things like installing solar panels on the roof of their supermarkets and distribution centres. They were going to retrofit their stores with energy-efficient LED lighting, upgrading their fridges with hybrid or HFC-free refrigeration systems, Mm. you know, putting... Uh, upgrading or placing doors on their fridges to conserve energy, just a range of these sorts of uh, initiatives. And I think the thing you've seen in the market is, you know, this is, you know, bank the whole, and this is probably coming back to your broader point that the, the whole sectors, I suppose, got a role to play yeah. in this. Probably the, the key piece that's emerged over the, call it the last, you know, five to 10 years, I think is there is a clearly demarcated investor demand for a specific product where you can identify that use of proceeds and the environmental yeah, benefits agree, that yeah. the projects that's going to be invested in are going to be delivered. Um, if we're getting specific on the renewable energy side yeah. and sort of switch to that. Um, that. It's just, it's no, no, no. No, not at all. I think, look, the in terms of the types of projects we look at, most of that activity by definition, I guess, has been in the wind, in sort of wind farms and solar yeah. farms. So how do these come together? Your typical financing involves bringing together equity investors. So they're mainly okay. infrastructure funds and might be sort of energy generators and retailers, along with contractors and manufacturers of the solar panels and the wind turbines themselves. And then very importantly, counterparties who in some way will sign or to some degree will sign a long-term contract or power purchase agreement yeah which will facilitate the project by underpinning, I suppose, the predictability of the future cash flows. So ANZ during 2019 was involved in financing close to $3 billion worth of renewable energy projects. Okay. Um, so it's absolutely a, a key focus nice. of um, the, the bank. Um, and it's more than just probably the, you know, the specific solar farms or, you know, uh, wind turbines and so yeah. forth. There's other elements that sort of feed into that. So one arguably less glamorous piece probably doesn't get the headlines around that is transmit transmission capacity so some of our recent financing activity has uh, been with the aim of boosting uh, the capacity of the high voltage the high voltage transmission network because it's one thing to generate the renewable energy but you've actually got to be able to physically 
<laughs> move yeah. it from the source of generation where the wind's blowing or the sun's shining to the actual urban demand centres yeah. where people need it. Um, and, you know, if you think about the way our grid has actually been designed in the past, wasn't to accommodate uh, the developments that we've foreseen in the last 20 years of renewable energy. Okay. Um, so there's actually been a lot of capital expenditure needed to either establish or increase transmission line capacity to, you know, rectify what would otherwise be capacity constraints yeah. um, in terms of being able to uh, transmit that power from the renewable energy source into the urban demand centres. Um, so that's also been sort of an important recent focus. Yeah. I think the other one we're expecting to see more of, so we'll continue to see more sort of renewable energy, uh, more capital invested oh, in renewable energy projects and our roles really finan debt financing around yeah. that. Um, we've also done quite a bit of advisory work in pulling together, as I said, the you know the equity investors, the financiers, and the the contractors yeah. uh, around these these particular projects. Um, the other, I think, key development we foresee in, in the coming years, and it's already underway, I guess, is the investment and financing activities around large scale batteries. Yeah. Um, this is you know a, a critical. Uh, phase that we think you know is the market's going to go through and clearly already is investing substantial sums yeah, in yeah. um because obviously just given the intermittent nature of current forms of renewable energy um that the storage of it and being able to capture it is actually quite uh, critical yeah. to uh, facilitating its growth so we expect to see a lot more around that and also you know in due course um more and more activity around i suppose what's broadly known as distributed energy and microgrids and you know the I suppose almost the localization of some of that, um, the generation activity yeah. in its own right. I guess. Um, I think one point worth noting, and this is more on sort of the underlying development, of sort of the some of the renewable energy investments. Yeah. Um, one pretty eye-catching development, I think, I would point to. So you've obviously got a large a large array of infrastructure funds who invest in renewables sure. and so forth. One interesting point, in particular, though, is we've seen an increasing involvement of companies who are probably more synonymous in some ways with sort of upstream oil and gas exploration and yeah. so forth. They've actually been increasing their footprint into the development of it, renewable energy. So it's very much reflective of that overall yeah. energy transition. And I think the pace of that's really only going to quicken as technology developments facilitate further capital cost reductions across wind, solar, and as I said, probably most importantly, storage. Yeah, uh, definitely storage is the the way to go and what you were talking about distribution you know if you can store it a bit better it's a lot easier to manage and um, that's why the i guess you've got the big sort of things looking at tesla and with the lithium batteries and you know, i'm sure there'll be more developments in the next five to ten years and it's definitely something that i'm guessing that your kind of um your space will be covering um now i, I read a little bit um or your discussions on online um about how investors should be disappointed if we see privatization deals continue in the future with these kind of products. Can you just explain why you said this and, and sort of just go into this a, a bit more? Absolutely. Um, so I think uh, what people uh, sort of who've worked in this industry would have observed over the last three to five or probably the last five, to yeah. six years, I'll say, is there's there has been uh, enormous amount of even just look at New South Wales. Um, that's probably the biggest one, really, in the last five. Years. That is yeah. correct. You've seen so you've seen um, energy transmission and distribution yeah. assets. You've seen uh, ports. You've seen uh, toll roads. You've seen an array of um, uh, sort of opportunities for private sector infrastructure funds to invest very very large sums yeah. of capital. Um, and Australia has been you know uh, almost stands out 
almost disproportionately for the size of its economy in terms of the the array of uh, infrastructure investment from the private oh, okay. sector that's um, that's uh, that, that that's sort of that's passed out yeah. here. I guess. I think my comments and sort of they they to some degree still apply to that. Yeah. I think um, were really that you know the it's I think it would be a bit optimistic to assume that pace of uh, commercialization of government assets can continue, I suppose. You may still see it, but I think it'll be a bit more sporadic by its nature. Sure. It may not be quite as busy as what was, you know, many described almost as a yeah. gold rush of sort of infrastructure investment opportunities that was the case sort of four to five years back. And, and that's very much reflective in, I think, the market's activities. What it's, if you, you've got to look to what, and I'll take New South Wales sure. as an example, given it's been a pretty, um, active centre of um, financing work, uh, I guess, in this space. They went through with a pretty clear mandate that, and a pretty clear strategy that, look, they were going to um, sort of realise uh, private sector capital against some of these government-owned yeah. assets. But I think the key piece was they did so uh, with a clear strategy that the proceeds they would raise would actually get reinvested into new infrastructure projects. So essentially by selling off existing assets and monetizing existing um, uh, assets, they were able to raise substantial pools mm. of capital and actually reinvest those in new infrastructure. Hence, you're seeing things like, and you know, uh, when even when private sector finance is done on new projects, it's generally done probably in concert with uh, some form of, frequently done, sorry, in concert with some form of government capital contribution. Yeah. So, you know, and that's certainly the case in things like, you know, Sydney Metro and a range of other, you know, uh, public transportation works and so forth that you tend to see. So the government's, as a, as a result of which, you know, you tend to find, uh, it's probably no coincidence that New South Wales and Victoria have been the most uh, active centres of that sort of commercialisation yeah. of government assets. They're also the ones with the most, uh, correspondingly, they're also the ones with the most active new infrastructure project pipelines in sure. front of them. And that's really reflective of a lot of our work. I think it used to be centred around what I describe existing assets that are already, um, you know, built and producing cash flows and have established sort of revenue models around them. More of our focus now is looking at um, Greenfields yeah. projects, i.e., you know, they're, they're items that for the first few years, the whole focus is on getting them delivered, getting mm. them built before anyone's running them and, and so forth. Um, so that's really just the evolution the market's gone through. And look, I think that's very much still the case. Um, oh, 100%. And I think um, I, I, it's great that we uh, discussed the sort of the, the gold rush, as you said, with the privatisation deals, because it is just such a, you know, especially in, in New South Wales, particularly while I'm from New South Wales. And, and so, you know, I've just seen it firsthand. Um, but yeah, it, it has been just very interesting and, and definitely um going forward you know making sure that we see sort of these newer assets come into you know into play and not relying on sort of older projects and just trying to be a bit more more fresh uh, i can definitely see that point um i guess uh that wraps it up for for today well it is an exciting and clean renewable future ahead thank you for your time today robin i really appreciate it not at all thank, thank you so much Addison. and tune in next time for another podcast all the best bye for now